Talking about the kingdom of God, this is a, uh, see how it makes that weird crackling sound? That's what I haven't been able to figure out. It makes that buzzing when you turn it up at all, but we'll keep working on it. Um, the Pharisees came to Jesus in that passage we just read in Luke and asked when, the com- when they would see the coming of the kingdom of God. And uh, as you know, the Pharisees rarely come to Jesus with pure motives. So it's highly likely that they were asking him that question again as a trap or trick. I don't know if that's fully true. It may be that at this moment they were sincere. I don't know that we want to give the Pharisees that type of credit for asking a sincere question of the Lord. Maybe they really did wonder about the kingdom of God, but in any case they were mistaken about it because the Lord corrects them about it and says it's not going to come in the way that you're expecting. Okay? Before we get into that answer that the Lord gives, remember he says, you, you can't expect it with signs. The, the kingdom of God doesn't come with signs. He is basically stating to the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is not something that they assumed or expected that it would be. In other words, people that are not connected with Christ are, are at best confused about what the meaning of the kingdom of God is. And I would even say that Christians are confused about the meaning of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. It's used over and over in the scriptures, specifically in the gospels, but then even in the letters, this phrase, kingdom of heaven, which is interchangeable with kingdom of God. I think whenever you read the phrase kingdom of heaven in the Bible, or kingdom of God in the Bible, you can exchange those. It means mean the same thing. But what does it mean? In 2011, I think it was, or 2012, I shared a little bit of a lesson about what it meant. And I want to return to some of that because some of you weren't here, and that was eight years ago. And we're here to a point again where the Pharisees are asking about the kingdom. And and we don't live in a world where kings really matter anymore. Even, even in England, where they have the royal family and the monarchy, typically it's just a show. I mean, the, I guess the queen has right over when to go to battle or war, but typically they're just giving out trophies at tennis tournaments now. It's, it's not, we don't have these monarchies that we once did, where the king had this absolute authority over the people. And then, for instance, in the French Revolution, they rebel against that authority or whatever. So even the idea of a king we struggle with because we live in an age of republic and democracy and so on. So when Christ talks about that, it's easy for us to become confused about what exactly he means. Now we live in a world that has advanced so far that we can communicate with anybody we want in a moment. Last night at Jessa's uh, party, Allie can FaceTime her and we can see Allie's face in Guam. It's just bizarre, the connections that we can make, right? We can, now with our updated phones and technology, we can make these types of communications. We should all congratulate you on your new upgraded phone. You're going to be amazed. You're going to be amazed. You're probably going to be playing uh, Scrabble all the time. We We can travel anywhere we want instantly. We have access to any kind of information. You can pause Jeopardy on your DVR and look up any question on Google, right? But even in, the, even in this world that we live in of such advancements, the world is still unhappy. The world is still seeking for answers. Leah uh, got a book for Christmas or for her birthday a couple weeks ago, um, and she was sharing how, you know, the world, 
back then was just as evil as it is today, and she was sharing a story in that book about uh, a murder that had occurred. And, and you would think that, well, in our advancements, with all of our technology and information and communication and science and technology, that those type of crimes would eventually pass away or, or we would see more answers in life. People would be more satisfied and fulfilled, but it's not. In fact, these things have actually made it easier for evil to thrive. Easier for criminals to do different types of wicked things. All of this hasn't made our lifespans any longer. Life is still, as Scripture says in James 4 and other places, Psalm 90, that is a shadow, it is a breath that can be measured. So where in the world can people find hope in a time like this? We find it in this idea of the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, it is like the Pharisees were. Two things in this world that people worry and wonder about. First, this world so evil, or why is this life so evil, and why is this life so short? Why is this life so short? Job, a passage in Job, kind of encompasses both of those thoughts when, he was, when it says, man was born for trouble like sparks fly upward. The idea that there is constant evil and then our lives are just over. We are looking for someone to correct the evil and we are thinking there must be something beyond this life that we can have a hope and a confidence in. And we have that concept, the answer to both of those questions in this idea of the kingdom of God. Why is this life so evil? The, kingdom will ultimate, the king will ultimately correct all of that, right? Why is this life so short? Well, this life is worth living because there is a kingdom that is beyond this world. Okay? So we start to think about the answers to those questions. We find the solution in the kingdom of God. That God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a living and powerful God who made us, loved us, died for us, and reigns over us. No matter how hard or bad or short our lives are, we know that God is in control and that He reigns on His throne. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established His throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. I brought you to Psalm 145. Look at verse 10 and let's read a little bit here. Best thing we can do ever in a service like this is to read the Word of God together. So let's read starting in Psalm 145, verse number 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, 
And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. It's a comforting passage because there is a king. And according to that passage, what kind of king is this? What kind of king is this? Is this, a, is this an evil monarch that reigns over us? I mean, the, the passage indicates that this is a tender and gracious and kind and loving king and a good king that is going to destroy the wicked, 20, and uplift and uphold all that are good. In fact, this passage right here answers both of the questions that I just raised regarding the questions that the world has. The world asks questions like, the world is so evil and so wicked, who's going to correct it? Well, verse 20 answers that question for us when it says the king will ultimately destroy all the wicked. And then we ask the question, this life is so short, is there any hope beyond this life? The answer to that question is found in verse 13 when it talks about the kingdom of God being an everlasting kingdom and a dominion that lasts and is preserved over all generations. In fact, it actually stands, his kingdom does, outside of this world. Even as Jesus was being quizzed by Pilate in the Praetorium, he says, my kingdom is not of... It is beyond us. Pharisees didn't understand that. Some don't understand that. Some people believe that we will usher in the kingdom of God by voting good and electing certain officials that will bring in the kingdom. Not so. Regarding the kingdom of God, there are certain options that we could have regarding what it is this means. Remember, the Pharisees came and asked Jesus, when will we see the kingdom of God? Well, what were they asking about? Here are some ideas. Perhaps the kingdom of God is just some subjective reality or a something that is supernatural. That we, maybe it's related to the church. The church will spread and, and the kingdom will as well. Maybe the kingdom of God is simply the ideal pattern for all of human society, as some believe the Sermon on the Mount provides the model for that in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I think it's important for Christians to understand what the kingdom of God is so that we can announce it. Remember when Jesus and John the Baptist came, they came preaching this message, repent for the what is at hand, kingdom of heaven. What were they talking about? What were they talking about? So let's look to the Bible. Are you ready to flip through some passages today? I hope so. Maybe that'll keep you awake. Romans 14, verse 17. I want to look at four passages and then come up with a definition for what is the kingdom of God before we finally get back to Luke at the very end of the lesson, just to kickstart next week's lesson, it'll be a two-part of the Pharisees' questions. We'll finally get to that cryptic statement about the vultures and the corpse. Tremendous passage. We're going to learn a lot. So I want to make four specific statements. So if you're writing notes, four specific statements about what the kingdom of God is, then we can come to a definition of it. Forgive me for keeping a drink, but I, I'm going to lose it here if I don't. So our first verse and our first principle about the kingdom of God is found in Romans 14, verse 17. If you took the kingdom of God and looked in a concordance or something, you'd, or kingdom of heaven, you'd find dozens of verses. Of the, we're boiling it down to these four. Not that they're more important, but I think they give us a, a better understanding. Roman, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay? The kingdom of God is not a matter 
of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the principle here, and then we'll talk about it for just a second. The kingdom of God, then, is a present spiritual reality. It is a present spiritual reality. When Jesus says it is not a matter of eating and drinking, he's talking about these things that are disputable matters, but he's making the point that, or Paul, I should say, in Romans, when, when he's making this a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy that we experience now in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, joy, and peace are not tangible objects. They are spiritual realities that we experience now. I suppose we could say that the kingdom of God brings these things and that those are, that are in the kingdom of God experience these things and they experience them in the present. It is, a, it is a spiritual reality that we who follow Jesus Christ as our Savior and King are experiencing. Righteousness, peace, and joy. The Holy Spirit provides that. So the kingdom of God is a present spiritual reality. We're going to stack these four on top of each other. Matthew chapter 25, please. Let's get these four down, and then we can summarize. Matthew 25 and verse number 34. Matthew 25, verse 34. So, just, to, just before we read that verse, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are already experiencing the kingdom of God in a spiritual, spiritual reality. Okay? Because you have these types of spiritual uh, joys and pleasures, the fruit of the Spirit and so on. All of that is being experienced. Matthew 25, 34. Second principle. This is in the, the midst of the parable or the story of the final judgment. Very similar to what Jesus is sharing in Luke 17 with the Pharisees. And here he uses the phrase in verse 34. The king, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then it talks about I was hungry, etc. Now it doesn't use the specific phrase kingdom of heaven, but it does talk about the kingdom and the king. The king says to people on the right, enter the kingdom, and then he's going to say to the people on the left, depart from me out of the kingdom. So in this end time, there will be people entering a kingdom and there will be people who are forbidden from coming into the kingdom. So here's principle number two. The kingdom of God is a future inheritance or a future realm God's people will enter in. The kingdom of God is a future inheritance, or you might put in parentheses, it is a realm, it is a place that God's people will enter in, in the future. You're not in that place now, correct? You're where? You're in Romeo, Michigan. You are in the kingdom of God in a spiritual reality. Are you following so far? Because get these four and I think you'll understand what it means. Someday, those who are Christians in here, praise God, will be invited to enter into the kingdom. The king will say, come into my kingdom. Okay? A place you are going a place that helps you to understand the evil and brevity of this life. Not that it doesn't really matter, but we can look forward to this coming kingdom where, remember Psalm 145, what kind of king will be reigning? A good and kind and benevolent king will be reigning over us, and we get to be a part of that. 
Now, there will be people that are forbidden to be a part of that. And who will those people be? Those will be the people, John 3, 3, who have never been born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot, what? See the kingdom of God. He cannot see it in a spiritual reality. He cannot experience the righteousness, joy, and peace that Romans talks about, but he will never enter into it from a physical standpoint in the future. Which is worse? I mean, they're both horrific. They will be departed and cursed. We could read this whole passage. These goats, which represent the unbelievers who never received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and King. And get this, everybody. If you have not done this, you can find yourself in Matthew 25. All of us are in Matthew 25 somewhere. A sheep, a goat, we're going to be separate from God forever unless we embrace him as king. I mean, how important is this? Number one, the kingdom of God is a present spiritual reality. We are all experiencing it now. The kingdom of God is a future uh, inheritance or realm where God's people will enter or come. Okay, third place, third verse, Colossians 1.13. I wish it was Sunday school and we could stop for questions because maybe you have one. But uh, we'll hold those till later maybe. Write down a question if you got one because I think this is important for grasping the whole concept of, the, of what will be happening in Luke 17. But also it's just a, a fantastic reminder and encouragement for us moving forward here. Colossians 1, 13. Here it is. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Again, kingdom of heaven isn't used, but we could infer that. That's what it's talking about. Delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Here's principle number three. The kingdom of God, then, is a present spiritual realm that Christ's followers have entered is a present spiritual realm that Christ's followers have entered. It has already happened. The tense here is the past. He has delivered you from this domain of darkness, this ruling that Satan, your flesh, and the world has over you. He has delivered you from that, transferred you into a different kingdom. You see this? I I say this a lot. There's always these two groups in the Bible. In Matthew 25, it was the sheep and the goats. Here it is, the domain of darkness or the kingdom of his son. You've been transferred into that kingdom of his beloved son because verse 14 goes on to say, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. All of us today... Not all of us in this room, but all of us who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have entered into that spiritual realm. Now hold that thought for a minute while we do number four. Look at 2 Peter 1.11. Very similar to the second thing, but just a combination here for us. 2 Peter 1, verse 11. And last of our four verses to look at. But we do have a lot of verses to look at. This would probably have been better suited for a Sunday Bible Institute, but I think, I, I think it's worth it for us, okay? 2 Peter 1.11, very similar to point number two, just a kind of a reconfirmation of this truth. Look at verse 10. Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Basically what it's saying is, make sure you know Christ. Make sure you are a believer. 
of all the things you could be certain of, make sure of this, right? How much is it going to matter if the sump pump overflows today because the power is out? It's going to matter a little. Something you want to be sure about. Is the battery on? Is it plugged in? You want to make sure of that, no doubt. But in, 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 a, in comparison to making sure that you are a Christian, <laughs> which, is, which has more weight here, yet many put that off. Many will make sure of their physical needs, but many will not be aware of their spiritual concerns. So be diligent, brothers, to confirm your calling election. Verse 11, For in this way they'll be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. This is how you enter. You're saved, so you enter into the eternal kingdom. Point four, I said very similar to point two, but here it is. The kingdom of God is a future physical realm we will enter. The, the key word here is it is a realm. The, the, the principle in, in the second thing is it is a, is a reality. It will really happen. It is, a, it is a truth. Points one and two are talking about realities. Points three and four are talking about realms. There is a spiritual reality to the kingdom of heaven. There is a future reality to the kingdom of heaven. But there is a present realm and there is a future realm. So part of our, our difficulty in understanding what this means is the modern language that we use. Typically for us, a kingdom means what? And let's answer this out loud. What is a, for us, a kingdom typically means what? What? I think you both said the same. It is a place, like, if you're reading a book about World War II or some ancient history book, you can look to the front with the maps, and they have these outline maps, and they're colored different. This is the kingdom of whatever. The Roman, the, maybe they didn't call it the Roman kingdom, but the, the kingdom of Austria, the kingdom of Hungary, the United Kingdom. And it's a place with boundaries, a physical land with boundaries. But in the Bible, kingdom doesn't mean first and foremost place. This is important. It doesn't first, it does mean place in a sense, but not primarily. Primarily, the word kingdom in the Bible means ruler or the right to rule. That's what it's referring to. Not a specific place, primarily, sometimes it does, but more so the right to rule. So I want to make two kind of final points before we shift, and we may not even have time to shift, we probably won't. And I do want to look at some more verses because I think it's helpful. Two, based on these four little principles, those were kind of just introductory thoughts, these four principles lead us to surmise two main thoughts about the kingdom of God. Okay, number one, the kingdom of God primarily, primarily is God's right to reign. Okay? The kingdom of God is primarily God's right to reign. To reign. Isaiah 43 10 says, There is no other God but Him. I read from 1 Timothy chapter 6, He is the one and only King. Philippians chapter 2 tells us Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the high, supreme, exalted one who has the right to reign and rule. So when we read that phrase, the kingdom of God in the Bible, primarily it means. The right of God to reign. So think about the Pharisees coming to Jesus now. We're not going to get there yet. But in Luke 17 when they say, when will we see the kingdom of God come? 
Again, it doesn't specifically say that they were asking that question to trap him. But do we honestly think by all that we know about the Pharisees that they were coming to ask him, hey, when will we know that God's going to come and reign over us? They're not thinking that. They're confused about what that means. They primarily thought, just like the disciples, that Jesus was going to come and install what kind of a kingdom? A physical one that would defeat all their physical enemies. Had no concept of a spiritual God with the right to rule over them. Okay? Can we look at some verses? Please forgive me for it, but let's... I shouldn't say forgive me for looking at the Bible, but go back to Psalm 145. I'll pick two or three that are of primary value for us. I have about six, but let's just look at a couple. Psalm 145, you, sh- you probably noticed this when we, uh, when we read it. I was trying to emphasize it, okay? Psalm 145. Oh, we're running out of time so fast. Look at verse 11. We have the idea of a parallelism in Hebrew poetry where the poet will say something. Poet, poetry in our Bibles isn't like rhyming, uh, but it's parallelism where they'll say one thing and then say the same thing but maybe use a different word. I think we did a Sunday school series on that several years ago. Um, here it is. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. So you see the parallelism? Let me help you. What is speak parallel to in the passage? This is easy. What is speak parallel to? Tell. That's, that's easy one. So then what is kingdom parallel to? Power. Right? Power sounds a lot like rule or reign. So here's what he's basically saying. That, that kingdom means right to rule. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power of your right to rule. The same idea is in verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And so what is kingdom parallel to in the second half of the verse? What is the parallel word for kingdom? Dominion. And dominion is the idea of authority or ruling. Again, so you see it in both places. Um, Look at Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. I think as you look at it, it does help. It, it does me. Like even if I'm listening to a sermon, I kind of have to be looking at the Bible to help see what is being stated. I, so I hope that helps. Look at Daniel 2, verse 37. Then we'll show you one in the New Testament. Very same idea. It says in verse 37, as Daniel is interpreting a dream, You, O king the King of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, power, might, and glory. And into hand he's given wherever they dwell, children, men, beasts, and the birds of the field, making them rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Now in this instance it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, but the idea or the principle of the word or the term kingdom being assigned power, might, glory, and even down in verse thirty. Uh, eight, rule over. Everybody see that? Are y'all seeing that? Kingdom means rule. Look at one more place. Mark 10, 15. I hope so. A couple people nodded. If more people would nod, it would make me feel good. Are you understanding? Kingdom means rule. Okay. I got one more person to nod, so that's, that's helpful. I can't tell if they're nodding because they're sleepy or they got it, but 
in any case, I think, I hope, if you have questions after, I know it's a, kind of a, we're walking through a lot of passages and sometimes that's hard. <clears throat> so this is Mark, did I say Mark 10? Mark 10, verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. This is when others were bringing children to him. Let the children come to me, Jesus says. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now let me ask you a question based on what we've looked at and based on all the verses we've... What does Jesus say you have to receive? What does Jesus say you have to receive to enter into the kingdom of God? Just, just answer what the Bible says first. What does it say you have to receive? Think about this. Doesn't this feel weird? In other words, you have to receive the kingdom of God to do what? To enter the kingdom of God. Okay? You've got to receive what? A child? I mean, you've got to receive... What do you have to receive? You have to receive his rule over you. This is why we talked about when mom asked about lordship salvation a few weeks ago. This is the idea. You cannot simply ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins because he died on the cross. Folks, I'm telling you, in my sharing of the gospel, most people give me that answer. They do. They just say, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Then you probe a little bit more and you find out that their life is totally outside the realm of God. Their life does not line up in any way with scriptural principles. But they gave the right answer. Did they receive the rule of God in their lives? I'm not talking about sometimes we might step outside the rule of God to sin. I'm talking about a purposeful, disobedient life which has no desire to come under the rule and reign of God. Christ says here, unless you receive my rule like a child would, simply, trustingly, I, I, I willingly put my hands into the light, or my life into the hands of this faithful and good king. That is how you enter it. And in this verse alone, you're seeing both aspects of the kingdom of God that it is a rule and it is a realm. You've got to accept the rule to enter the realm. I'm not trying to confuse you, but I hope you grasp it. Jesus said it so clearly here. Unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you will by no means enter it, meaning the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I mean, that's not just this. Where is the kingdom, right? Like the Pharisees are coming. Where is it? Seek what? Seek him to be the ruler over your life. And everything else will line up. All these things will be added unto you. This kind and good and loving God will take good care of you. Ultimately, he'll take good care of your soul, presenting you blameless before the Father in heaven one day. Incredible. Incredible. When we say in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. What are we saying? Now do you get it? God, let your rule just reign over our world and most of all, let it reign over me, my life. I've willingly entered it at salvation let it continue to dominate me for the rest of my life. I know there'll be moments where I struggle. So first, these are the, this is the first of the two principles. The kingdom of God is primarily his right to rule or reign. 
But secondly, it is also the realm where his reign is experienced. That's, a, that's the second thing. It is also the, the realm where his reign is experienced. So we ask the question, I mean, what good is a reign without a realm? <laughs> How can you rule without a place to do it? Follow that? How can you rule without a place to do it? Well, the way to enter the realm, we must submit to, our, to God's rule now. Now, well, let me, let me not get ahead of myself. Sometimes, well, let me ask this, let me ask this. Is the realm present or future? Is the place where God is ruling or will rule present or is it still to come? That's right. It is an already not yet. He is already ruling, but he's not yet ruling. Now, let's talk about those things. Again, I mentioned John 3, 3 already. We will not see the kingdom of God unless we're born again. We will not see the kingdom of God unless we're born again. Where people have, people have talked about the idea of the kingdom of God being already not yet. He's already ruling, but he's not yet ruling. He is already ruling in the hearts and lives of those who've submitted themselves to him as their king and as their Lord. He rules now. I just, that's what I mentioned earlier. The kingdom of God is a present spiritual reality. Where, 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 uh, and it is a present spiritual realm. He, he rules in my heart. He rules in my life. And I'm in that realm now. Because I walk around, and who is my king? God, Christ is my king. But I'm going to a place in the future where it will be actually physical, a physical realm. Right now I'm existing in the spiritual kingdom of God, where one day I will be existing in the literal, physical kingdom of God. And that's expressed to us in Revelation where there'll be no more sorrow, no more death, no more sadness, and the king will rule. We read it in Psalm 145. So the kingdom of God then, we could finalize the truth this way, the kingdom of God then is the rule and reign of God experienced now by believers in a spiritual realm and to be fully enjoyed in the physical future realm. Okay? So the kingdom of God is the rule of God that is experienced by believers now in a spiritual realm and one day more fully and finally in a physical realm. Fantastic. This is what gives us hope in the midst of evil and life's brevity, that God has not abdicated his throne. And when we see evildoers, and it gets worse and worse and worse, more dastardly and sinister acts are being perpetuated on people. I saw, I saw kind of a beautiful thing online last night. I showed it to Leah. Everybody, everybody made your faces old on the apps. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not kind of with it. Now, now you can make your face old on the app. You can get an app that makes you look old. For some of you, it will be harder. But uh, the idea was uh, you could take a picture of yourself and then send out what you look like as a 90-year-old or something. And someone did that with an ultrasound. Said, in case you don't understand, I used the Face Age app on this ultrasound, and it was like an eight-year-old girl in the next picture. And we, we see that, that type of stuff going on in the world, whether it's that 
or, or even the sinister acts of parents uh, abusing their children. And, and it seems like the news only wants those more salacious accounts because that's the clicks. People want to see that. I mean, in a sense, people are, they want to read about that sort of thing for some reason. And we start to pull our hair out and wonder, how can these things be? And then we remind ourselves that God is king. And Psalm 145 says, one day we'll destroy all evildoers. That's not our responsibility. We pray for their salvation that they might also enter into the kingdom of God. But that gives us hope in the midst of evil. This kingdom of God is what each of us must accept to enter his realm and enjoy his blessings. To live apart from him as king seems to be what the world wants because they want to live in autonomy. They want to be their own ruler, their own lord, their own master. But the way to truly enjoy joy and blessing, I think one person said it Wednesday night, true fulfillment is to have Christ as our king. Zechariah 9.9 prophesied him coming in, says this about Jesus coming into the the holy city on Palm Sunday, but here's how it describes him. He is just and he has salvation. The king offers salvation. First Timothy, I read the chapter 6 passage, but in First Timothy chapter 1 it says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor, glory forever. Amen. Revelation 15.3 Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Revelation 19.16 He has a robe, and on his thigh he has a name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Turn finally back to Luke 17. Let me say one thing and we'll be done. This is just, this is just paving the way for us now to understand what Jesus is saying in Luke 17. And I just want to make a quick statement. I just want to make a quick statement and then have opportunity to look at it further this week and prepare for next time. Look at verse 20. We've read this for our scripture reading, so it's a little familiar. Here's, here's the story that leads us into all that we just shared. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So that's fascinating. When is this going to be set up? Again, it's a total misunderstanding. They're not asking what we just explained. They're asking, hey, when are you going to come take care of all of our problems? He answered them and said, the kingdom is not coming in ways that can be observed. <laughs> you understand that now? Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. It is not like a man riding a horse over a hill and says, look, there's the kingdom, here it comes. Or here, there it is, it's coming. That's not the type of kingdom that Jesus came here to inaugurate. Yet, he will. He will, praise God, right? Riding on those horses, come in and set up the kingdom and with the word of his mouth, destroy all of his enemies instantaneously and set up that physical kingdom that we will all enter in because we've accepted his rulership now. And then he says, Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. I think he could be meaning several things here. He could be basically pointing to himself. The kingdom of God is right here in the midst of you. The opportunity, perhaps, he's saying, We'll talk about it more next week. The opportunity, perhaps, for you to enter the kingdom of God is right here. All you have to do is what? Bow your knee and accept 
me as king and ruler over your life, but you will not do that. And so instead, he turns to his disciples from verse 22 to the rest to encourage them about the full coming of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about that next time. With God and Christ as our chief and ruler and leader, we must accept his, right, his reign to enter his realm. And so I want to encourage everybody. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure who here is a believer or not amongst us. I, I just don't know. And so my... I mean, I, I urge you to do what the passage we read in Second Peter says, to make, be diligent to make certain that you really know Christ as your Savior and Lord. That you're not relying on your parents. That, you, uh, that you're not trusting in some decision that hasn't really caused you to embrace Him as King. Because we know what happens in a physical kingdom when someone rebels against the King. Depending on the power the king has, those rebels are punished. And what kind of power does our king have? Absolute power. So with what kind of destruction will he punish the rebels? With absolute destruction and authority. There is no escape. If you reject the claims of Christ now to enter his kingdom, there is no escape later. He will punish you, and rightly so. And I ask myself as a Christian, is there an area in my life that I am rebelling against the king now? Right? I said, to enter the realm, you've got to accept his rule, and I've done that. I have, I have received Christ as my Lord and Savior. It doesn't mean that I've stepped outside his authority. Has anybody else? <laughs> has anybody else ever stepped outside the authority? Of, yeah, everybody has stepped outside the authority of Christ. So I've got to ask myself, in what ways am I doing that on a consistent basis? And God, forgive me for doing that. And let me reside completely and totally under your reign not only just for obedience' sake, because that's what a, a servant should do, but also to enjoy the blessing and fruit that comes from that. Praise God. Spar has to pray. Thanks for listening. Our Father, we thank you so much for being a king, a God who reigns in, in righteousness over us, a good and loving and kind and forgiving God. God, you have no, you have no reason <laughs> to be this way. In fact, I would say that if we were in your position, we would probably destroy anybody who had rebelled against us, and rightfully so. We deserve nothing but judgment and punishment. We deserve to be cast aside from your presence forever, as in Matthew 25. We deserve the flaming fires of hell, the outer darkness of separation, complete loneliness, we deserve the wrath of God upon our lives. And we thank wholeheartedly our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for bearing that wrath on the cross of Calvary. And Father, may we embrace His realm in our life, maybe for the first time today, embrace it to become a follower of Jesus. Couldn't be more clear than in the Mark 10 passage. You've got to receive the kingdom of God if you want to enter it. And then, Father, for us who are believers, many faithful, committed, but, but God, if there are blind spots in our lives or things that we have for too long ignored or, or just are unaware of, please bring those to our attention as we seek to be faithful servants in your kingdom. How we love you and praise you for the lessons we've learned today. 
In Jesus' name, amen.